everyone. Hello. Before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please. We also have a new reviewer to shout out and give a badass lady meter rating. Yeah, 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 yeah. As you may or may not know, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will give you a rating on our Badass Lady Meter scale. Everyone wants it. What are you waiting for? Get to it. It's super cool. This review was left by Moron Mocat. <laughs> Into it. Great user. Into it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm going to like break with tradition a little and your rating's just going to be us saying to you... You should start that podcast that you mentioned in your review because we'd love to listen to it. Um, yeah, so that's really awesome. Your rating is starting a PCAST. It's honestly easier than you think. PCAST? <laughs> a PCAST. <laughs> We're trying to get that started. Yeah, yeah. refer to them as PCASTs. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Moron Mocat, for reviewing us. Um, Everybody, if you have anything you want to say to us at all, say it, say it. You can get in touch with us in many places on the internet. We are on Instagram and Twitter, Dragon Babies Podcast and Dragon Babies Pod. Our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. All right. Thanks so much. Now the episode. Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. By C.S. Lewis. Clive Staples Lewis. <laughs> that is his name. <laughs> I don't believe you. Madeline doesn't believe me, but I'm being completely honest. Clive Staples. Clive Staples. The Silver Chair was published in 1953. It is one of the Chronicles of Narnia. It was the fourth published, um, but there is a bit of a controversy with the order that the books should be read in. They're packaged in slightly different orders um, by different publishers. It is, in most recent editions, volume six, Mm. even though it was the fourth published. Um, But yeah, C.S. Lewis jumped all over with the timelines and kind of... Which is in keeping with the feel of the books anyways, like the way time jumps around. Yep, totally. Um, And... At the time of it being published, it was the first Narnia book to not include the Pevensies, the four main children who are the fated rulers of Narnia. Lots to say here, but we're going to start off by doing a marketing breakdown, discussing the cover of the edition that we had when we were kids um, and how the publisher chose to package and promote the book. So... This, I have a set of the Chronicles of Narnia that I've had since I was quite young. Yeah. Um, They are weathered. They have been through a lot. Wow. They have like a yellow. That's awesome. Yeah. They're white in the middle of the page and then it fades out to yellowed at the corners. The um, Wow. The pages crackled when I opened the book. It was so clear that it was like, I haven't been opened for a thousand years. Can I can I smell it? Yeah. I smell yeah, that it's got it's definitely got, got some good, funk going on. Yeah. Um and I managed wow. to keep them all in their little 
case. Um, so they're in pretty good shape, even though the bindings are kind of ruined um, because I dragged these around everywhere with me, partly because I did really enjoy the series and also partly because I wanted to be seen as a precocious child who carried <laughs> around a chronicle of Narnia with them because I, used to carry around I was my annoying. Lord of the Rings books. Yep. Yeah, definitely did that too. I uh, will never forget taking the Fellowship of the Ring, like the the big hardcover to school, <laughs> like first day of fifth grade. And everyone was just like, yeah, this is why you sit by yourself. <laughs> oh, too real, Grace. Too, too real. real. Um, the silver chair is probably my favorite of the Chronicles of Narnia, as you can guess from our decision to focus on this as our Chronicles of Narnia episode, um, as opposed to something... It was a good choice. Something more famous, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the first book in the reading edition order, The Magician's Nephew. Um, and the cover is part of what I love so much about it, honestly. Mm. Um, it's a really, really striking image. Uh, it is... The prince, Prince Rillian, lifting his sword up to destroy the evil silver chair that has been partly responsible for enchanting and imprisoning him. Um, and it's drawn with really lovely colored pencils. Um, all the covers in this yeah, set are. I'll really put, up, cool. put up some pictures on our website. Um, the art in general for this series is something I love so much. Um, the uh, interior drawings um everything was illustrated by an artist named pauline baines who also illustrated many of tolkien's books um especially i think the like most famous edition of farmer giles of ham oh, she did the illustrations for okay um and i just love her art so much and like it has very much affected my own drawing style and mm. trying to create those ink drawings that are really striking, but also kind of whimsical. I'm talking yeah. about her art, not mine. <laughs> um, but it, it was so fun going back through and getting to revisit those. Um, yeah. Did you get to see the illustrations or were, were you doing an ebook at some point? Or? So, yeah, at first I was listening to the audiobook, um, but the narrator annoyed me. So then I switched to... <laughs> Uh, I really hated the way that he voiced the owl. Like he really, he just did it, feather. He did it way too like, and I just wanted to smack him in his face. So then I oh, no. switched to a written one. Interestingly enough, in the written one that I switched to, the illustrations are in color, but they Whoa. are the same illustrations. So it looks like they. It looks like they just... How did they do that, though? Because the ink is so heavy. It looks like they just digitally manipulated them to be able to add color in. Handing my phone oh, to Grace. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. That it, looks, it's that not bad. Good. I like no, it. No, but it, I just... Like I a was, light wash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they but are the same illustrations. It's really funny that it was your hatred for Glimfeather's <laughs> depiction <laughs> that made you stop, because I love Glimfeather's onomatopoeia, actually. Yeah, but the um, narrator made it annoying. That's so sad. I was saying "tuhu tuhu" out loud to myself because I like the spelling of it so much. Because it's cute, right? It's really cute. But when yeah. it, and yeah. you know, I love a giant owl showing up at the beginning of a journey and telling you what to do. That's our Zelda reference. One per episode. <laughs> Got to it real early this time. Um, 
So yes, absolutely love this cover. Uh, it's a and cool cover. This entire edition set, like these are books that have been really important to me and I've actually taken pains to hold on to. Mm. I can't believe I retained every one of the seven books. That is I, impressive. I cannot believe it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's a testament to something. And I only defaced one of them. Grace Harnoy. <laughs> Writing my name in a huge black Sharpie across the top of the cover. What did you blot like out there? Like a psycho. What, what, was, what was underneath that? Chronicles of Narnia. Now it says <laughs> Grace Harnoy. Grace Harnoy, the magician's nephew. You probably took it to camp. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And that's why that you put just, your name on it. That's wild seeing the way that children take claim of their possessions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So okay. I want, I'm ready to talk about my old and new impressions, but we need to, I need to do the summary. Yes. So diving right in. We've got two kids. Oh, wait. One more note about this edition. Um, it says on the back, this scholastic edition is only available available for distribution through the school market. So it must have been through like one of the book fairs. But I think it got from them a teacher. for Christmas. So I couldn't have stolen a whole set of books. Yeah, you could have. Oh, I could have. <laughs> be pretty ballsy. <laughs> All right, Madeline, if you would be so kind as to, for those who haven't read the book before or just haven't visited it in a while, give us a brief plot summary of what goes down. So we've got two children's. Their names are Eustace and... Pole. <laughs> Jill. Jill Pole. Used to scrub Jill Pole. Yeah, and they refer to each other by their last names. When we start the book, they are in this pretty nasty school. Um, and Eustace... A lot of editorializing about the school. Oh, yeah. We'll get to Oh, that. yeah, especially about its poor religious yes. uh, aspect. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, Eustace is just talking to Jill. She was crying behind the gym. And he starts to sort of hint at the travels that he's gone through because he was in a previous book with Prince Caspian. And uh, both of them Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And both of them are saying, okay, we don't want to be here in this world. Let's go to Narnia. So they start wishing it. They're whisked away to Aslan's land. For those of you completely unfamiliar with these books, Aslan is Jesus. He's not Jesus. But he's a... I mean, he does all kinds of Jesus-type stuff. He's a Christ-like figure. Yeah, that's the educated way of saying it. <laughs> anyway, so... We can go into the book's place in the Magic systems. Yeah. Um, Aslan says, It is not you who wanted to come to me. It is I who summoned you, for I am Jesus. <laughs> he says, You have to go find the king of Narnia's son. He's been took... And uh, now there's no air. Everyone is sad. Uh, it's Caspian. King's getting old. King's getting real old. And he is Caspian. And then Eustace is sad because he remembers Caspian as this young man that he adventured with. Mm-hmm. So they go to the castle. Oh, Aslan says to them, watch for my signs and gives them these signs that are going to guide them on their journey to and Jill also only. help them with the journey. Yeah, to Jill because Jill... Somehow it's her fault that Eustace fell off the cliff. A lot of some seems like some made up woman hating to me. I do have to say, like time and time again, I feel like responsibility is assigned to Jill, but part of that is also her in her own mind feeling like she messed up. So she muffed it. Yeah, she muffed it, which I'm gonna use from now on. Yeah. Um so they go to the castle, they meet an owl who talks in a fun way. 
<laughs> Unless you're an audiobook narrator. <laughs> I did not enjoy that the way the audiobook narrator did that. Uh, they set off on the quest to go find the sun. And uh, so I'm trying to do this as streamlined as possible. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Thank you. So they are wandering around. They, they are with this swallow gump. <laughs> <laughs> a marsh wiggle? He's a marsh wiggle. And uh, Puddle Glum? Puddle Glum. <laughs> Puddle Glum. Who is one of the main characters <laughs> of the book. <laughs> no, I know his name, but I was trying to come up with the kind of thing he is. He's not a swallow gump. He's Puddle Glum and he's a marsh wiggle. <laughs> and when I was listening to the audiobook without the pictures for the first like third of the book, I imagined him as to be like this giant frog in. <laughs> <laughs> then when I switched over to the book of pictures, I was like, oh, he's like almost entirely humanoid. Uh, so that changes things up a little bit. They meet a woman in a green kirtle or dress. And she tells them to go see the giants for dinner. And by this point, they've already muffed some of the signs. They're kind of feeling dispirited. Uh, they go Cold. to... They're cold. Uh, Jill forgets the other signs. And then when they get to the giants, they find out that the giants don't want to have them to the feast. They want to have them for the feast. Womp womp. And they manage to escape the giants and get into this underworld where it's full of really sad gnome people who are being held in thrall by the witch who turns out to have captured the prince to have killed his mother she's also a giant snake she's the lady in the green girdle yeah she's, she's all the bad stuff she's the witch and literally responsible for every bad thing that has happened in the course of the plot yes <laughs> yes she is the witch she's the bad guy and Caspian is being held uh, um, like at night the enchantment wears off and he has to be strapped to the silver chair to get the enchantment back on him and the children and uh, um, Puddle Glum realize what's going on and they free him uh, Jill hacks off the witch's head and Jill doesn't do anything sadly. I thought it's Jill who beheads her uh no she just sits quietly by herself while eustace and puddle glum chop off her head with swords okay i changed that in my head then uh and then they escape from the underworld after telling the sad known people that everything's fine and the sad known people are happy they make it back into the overworld narnia Caspian dies as they reach him and then Rillian becomes the king and the kids go see Aslan and he puts little adorable little lion kisses on them and then sets them back on home. There really is so many, just so many moments where children are being kissed by a lion in the course of this series. And I, I don't know. I like it. I want to <laughs> be kissed But it's strange. By, well, it's, to me, it's like, Licked, I really... kissed, bled on. <laughs> I, I really like cats. So I just imagine it as like a little kitty kiss from a big old kitty. Yep. It's true. And then they get home and they freak some bullies out and because they see Aslan and then they get the school in trouble for being God free. Well, and just generally, um, like allowing cruel to, cruel bullying to take yeah, place. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was being tongue in cheek about that. I know. Good summary. Thank you. Thank you. 
So, why are we starting this episode six books into the Chronicles? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. No, I do know. And it will lead me into our next segment, Old and New Impressions. Um, so, as I have mentioned, I was definitely a big Narnia head. Yeah, Grace loved Narnia. Um, a Narnia, some mm. would call me. <laughs> would they? <laughs> um I really loved these books. I this series and then the Wizard of Oz series. Yeah, that's, um, those were your jam. Are like very similar in a lot of ways because in it, a variety of different children go through magical lands where there are nicely segmented chapters where there's like a new creature that they meet or a new land that they encounter, and there are problems but small enough problems that they can fix them Mm -hmm. um and prevail and show the big dumb adults that they should be handling things more (laughs) effectively like the kids can um and just generally providing children with a fantasy escape from real life and it's an escape in two ways because the world is magical and the you know, there are many kind beings. There are also evil beings, but the kind ones prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the children get to behave like adults in yeah, a lot of ways. They get a lot of responsibility. Worlds. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, the looking back at the two now, and we have not covered an Oz book yet. I think we will at some point. I don't see why we yeah, wouldn't. Um, both put me in a similar place um a feeling totally transported also like aching to be able to go to the place and the narnia books really tease you with that because they make it feel so easy to get to narnia um especially when you're a little kid and maybe you're experiencing something like the kids in the books like being bullied um and you're like oh god what if i could just run to the back of my schoolyard and find a doorway and not only be away from the bad things that are currently happening in my life but be at the beginning of a grand adventure important and special and yeah setting off in an adventure i understand that exactly that kind of pain really haunted me this is the reason i stopped reading fantasy for a while um when i was was too like an older teenager and like i I was just going through some really hard stuff and it was too painful right yeah it's too much of a promise like it's too close without ever being real to you yeah um and I will say of of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia, all my favorites are the ones that don't really focus on the Pevensies as much. Um, yeah, I don't really care about them. I much. I love the Silver Chair. I love the Magician's Nephew. Um, I know a lot of people don't like that book. I don't really understand because it's basically just like kids messing around with multiverses, <laughs> which is like awesome and super fun. fun. Yeah. Um, I love the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, whose events are mentioned in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, the Horse and His Boy is great too. Although I'm also a little scared to revisit that because I think there's going to be some like Orientalist Islamophobic oh, stuff okay. that yeah. might be going on um, because it's set in like an Arab type culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's it's important to think about these things. I want to. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah but it's I mean, hard for the first time to go back and be like whoa i love totally. this as a kid and it is problematic well, right and think about the ways in which it was formative for me in mm-hmm. a negative way even yeah. if you know like I, I don't think that resulted in 
you know, strong biases from you or anything, but but I'm still taking in that messaging. Right. It helped to form your implicit biases that we're still trying to uncode today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the silver chair was my special favorite because Your special favorite. My special favorite because first of all, the protagonists that we get are less godly and precious yeah. than the four main right. siblings. Yeah. Um, Peter, Lucy, Edmund, and Susan. Um, they're kind of Jill and Eustace are kind of in the trenches, so to speak. I really like Jill and Eustace. They're just like kind of grubby, yeah, <laughs> like trying to do their best. And we've talked about this in many of our other episodes that we like a good child protagonist is just a normal kid mm-hmm. and doesn't yeah. have some kind of predestined fate. And the the exactly. hard thing is like with Narnia, Aslan's like always trying to make the kids feel like you're special. I brought you here. But that's Jesus for you. I feel like it's more that they're just special because they happen to be a human child in Narnia. Like Jill, for example, came there pretty much on random chance. She was just with Eustace. Yes. Eustace is the cousin of the Pevensies. That's oh. how he got to Narnia in the first place. Okay. Um, what are their names? Pevensies. Pevensies. Maybe I'm mispronouncing it. That's how I always said it. Pevensies. <laughs> Very British. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that these took place during World War II. That never registered with me when I was a kid. That's actually, <laughs> World War II was Lewis's inspiration in a lot of ways because uh, children from London were being evacuated right, to the English countryside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and I liked that's the, how he started thinking about it. Okay. That's interesting. And I liked at the end when they came back and one of the bullies ran away calling them fascists. <laughs> I know. I was like, World War II. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were very close friends, and they explored a lot of similar themes in terms of, like, leaving the cities and getting back to the countryside mm-hmm. and, like, yeah. evading the ravages of war um, and the uh, industrialism. If you think about it, it's hard because... Comparing The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia. Their audiences um, are just so different. The audiences are really different. And the material is handled so differently. Like, if you think about even I mean, just Tolkien the, was an academic. So was C.S. Lewis. He was a professor at Oxford. Oh, I didn't know that. Because, yeah. I mean, I sure his, his writing is really good, but it doesn't read in the same sort of, like academic historical tone as Tolkien's. Right. Well, and that's what I mean by the material being handled so differently. Um C.S. Lewis is not only writing for children, but the narration style is in the second person. Mm. Like he frequently addresses the child reading the book mm-hmm. and like couches things yeah. that he's saying in like yeah. elements of real life that they might be able to relate it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just, I mean, they were doing really, really different things. And I also have to say that J.R.R. Tolkien. I feel that he was really on another level in terms of what, and I'm no scholar about either of these authors. I just love their work and have read it a lot and like studied what I can of both of them. Um, But this is by no means comprehensive. So if anyone is an expert and wants to like come on and talk about that, that would be amazing. And don't yell at us. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel like this is a disclaimer. No, 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 not at all. I'm just saying like, all I know is odds and ends. Um, Okay. Yeah. But Tolkien really created a world. He he created multiple languages. Like, so let's just 
He was interested in building that as well, whereas C.S. Lewis was more interested in, I think, the themes mm. and the like overall messaging of his books. Yeah. Um, whereas Tolkien, I really feel set out to create an, an entirely different reality. Yeah. And then like, Oh, there are some, there's some characters <laughs> in that reality. So right. like, let's talk about what they did. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point in the differences between their work. And you can tell that too, if you just look at like the publication order of the different uh, pieces related to both that they created and like thinking about the fact that C.S. Lewis was writing these out of chronological order mm -hmm. um, and then uh, like figuring out which pieces he wanted to put where like it wasn't a grand scheme that was laid out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. He actually said that his whole idea for the series in the first place was because he I, I'm not sure if he created or found it, but an image of a fawn carrying parcels on a, in a snowy field. Like that's what the entire series came from. That's really um, funny. And then it was during World War II when there were children staying in the town near where he lived yeah. that he started thinking about them like going through a wardrobe and yeah. finding another world and being away from the war. Yeah. Cool. So, whew. Specifically in the silver chair, I love the underworld so much and it's so weird and creepy. Yeah. Uh, and you go so abruptly into it. Yeah, I love the abruptness with which things shift. Totally. It's really funny. I I love the so I was also very partial to like mysteries and detective stories when I was young. I still really enjoy them. Um, lifelong Nancy Drew fan. <laughs> but I love the little clues and the fact that you have the four signs to pay attention to to from the start of the book and then yeah. you get to be like ah yeah as they're just totally they're just blundering past them all yeah um and falling into the letters of the giant message um that's pretty cool and caspian immediately leaving on a ship <laughs> headed for the end of the world as soon as they meet him and he's the one who they were supposed to um you know get help from screwed that um, one up pretty good i i love that component so much i also have always really liked stories where like the longer you spend in a world like the more you forget your old self and yeah. like you have to repeat your identity and your messages to yourself and yeah. things like that. Um, and Which that's is a really good point about life. Totally. Yeah. You will lose pieces if you're trying if you're something in, completely yeah. out of your depth and yeah, very and different. You're looking in the mirror and be like, who's this wacko? That's right. <laughs> and it's important to do that. Hmm. Um, and I also love Puddle Glum. He's <laughs> Puddle Glum's uh, pretty great. Yeah, an amazing character. Pretty He's like great. my fantasy Eeyore. Um, <laughs> fantasy Eeyore. So I'm kind of combining a bunch of different things right now, but I will just sum up by saying um, I rereading this, like my new impressions, um, I actually felt it was uh, less challenging material than I remembered it being. Um, I agree. I I didn't realize how much it was written for a young audience, um, and that's fine. Uh, oh, I yeah. it makes me like wonder about myself a little bit because for whatever reason, when I was young, I would feel like it was really an undertaking to read the Chronicles of Narnia, and I read them a lot, um, but well, it felt like a big task. They're still written in a very sophisticated way. Yeah, like it's, it's true. Not, and it's a different vernacular. They're not than, dumbed down. Yeah, exactly. And there's that vernacular thing where it's very, it's much more classic English. 
there are also confusing words and phrases that are British yeah. um, that I didn't understand. Uh, but now I can just, you know, look up um, caca leaky soup or whatever it was called <laughs> uh, instead of like trying to baffle Figure out yeah, what or puzzle over was. that for a while. Yeah. Okay, so I'm finally done with my old and new impressions. Madeline, what was your experience rereading this book? So I don't know if I've ever read this one before. <laughs> but but I kind of did because I had this, it was all seven Narnia books. Oh, yeah. It was this huge illustrated Beautiful like it, they were edition. blown up yeah. illustrations interspersed yeah, with that. like the different stories and so i've definitely seen a different artist's depiction of like the under people mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. um i did actually read like the first three narnia books and i hadn't specifically read this one before and i do agree it's a lot more fun having not the mm-hmm. piff wig- wiggles now you're just trying to put wiggles into every every <laughs> phrase. The Pevensies. Pevensies. Yeah, and also this book is concerned with like a more compact plot instead of the beginning and end of the series is like literally the creation and then the end of the world mm-hmm. for Narnia. So it's just like a lot more sweeping, yeah. like more vague. Mm-hmm. Um, Aslan is like... He's not a fun character. No. <laughs> and the more he's talking, the more tedious the book is, in my experience. Yeah. And he's all, I like how he's like kind of a jerk when they meet him in this book. And he's like... Aslan's kind of always a jerk. I mean, did you notice the one point when he's like to Jill, okay, I'm not going to scold you right now? He's like, I'm not always going to be scolding. <laughs> yeah. No, it is true. He's very like... Uh, kind of cantankerous. It's probably also frustrating to be a, like a god lion who <laughs> only has children to help you save your own, <laughs> save your own existence. It's <laughs> uh, a good um, point. Yeah, here's like the grumpy babysitter. <laughs> okay, I don't really want to see these kids, but I need the money. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Aslan's just point. doing his best, I guess. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, my impressions, I really liked these illustrations. Um, I thought this book was very fast-paced. I thought it was, yeah, less... And I'm not saying that I didn't like the original Narnia books that I read. I just felt like this one was less obnoxious. Did your... I wonder what order they were in that collected... Yeah, I don't know. Edition, um, because I remember reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first, because at no, the time... In, the first one in mine was The Three Rings. Well, right, but you got that after this. I mean, yeah. Uh, when I got these, I don't think you were like reading yet. No. Um, but I remember being told to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first. I was also mm. really young. I think I was in like third grade when mm-hmm. I first read these. Okay. Um, so young enough that... Like I, I didn't, you know, I could have been deterred from the books if it wasn't immediately compelling. Sure. Um, even though they are, they're nicely divided up into chapters and like the way the action is sequenced, I think does make it really easy for kids to read. Like, yeah. you don't think of the Chronicles of Darnia as like an early reader book, but like they actually There's like no downtime. There's yeah. always stuff going on. There's a little on. cliffhanger at the end of every chapter, yeah. you know, just like in the old Nancy Drew books. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So appreciative 
of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I actually, because I love the magician's nephew so much, mm. um, even though it's not about the same characters as the rest of the books and it is like honestly more sci-fi than fantasy. Mm. Um, I think it sets up so much intrigue for what can happen in the rest of the books that it is valuable to read first, but I don't know. Let us know what you guys think about this. I know it's very controversial. Um, I'm being serious. (laughs) (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) No, I'm just being a big old jerk. Nerdy controversies are important to me. I, some of them are to me too, so I shouldn't chuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was very easy to read. I enjoyed it. Uh, all the characters were fun. I did like Puddle Glum a lot. Uh, and I, I guess I was just, I get a little rankled by constant Jesus-y uh, references. So I guess that was something that I wouldn't have cared about as a kid and that now old grumpy Madeline noticed yeah i knew you wouldn't like that (laughs) um i it's the christian stuff is interesting because so c.s lewis's history with christianity um he kind of became an agnostic when he was an adolescent and although he was raised religious in the church of ireland um then became an agnostic and kind of lost his faith and then sort of converted to harder core Christianity when he was an adult Mm. um, and was a Christian philosopher and writer. Um, He wrote about Christianity a lot and thought about it a lot. Mm. Um, And with the Chronicles of Narnia, he he had always maintained um, he didn't mean for them to be allegorical. And it's more just that everyone like thinks it's really Jesus. (laughs) But they're Christian themes that are being packaged in a way that's pleasant to young audiences and also isn't, is subtle, like actually, but, but subtle compared to the kind of Christian oriented works that at this time Mm -hmm. were being given to children to read, you know, it's not like Pilgrim's Progress. Sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And yes, we get phrases like Aslan is our Lord, (laughs) but like a daughter of Eve and son of Adam. Daughter of Eve and son of Adam are which, like the most egregious things. But that's because which is also I kept being like, well, they're both children. If you're saying that these are their parents, then they're both children of both of them. Like you don't have to put the woman with the woman and the man with the man. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, that's because that's what Aslan calls human children in Narnia. That's like his way yeah. of orienting them as being from our world yeah. and not from Narnia. Um, yeah, that's just like what he always says I know. about them. I know. Um, but yes, I, I get it. It is very, very biblical. Um, and I think the most explicit uh, Christian overtones in this book are actually when the narrator, aka just C.S. Lewis, yeah. is discussing Experiment House, the school yeah. that... Eustace and Jill go was, to. Was there like some kind of real school that he had beef with because it was too secular? Yeah, I think <laughs> so. <laughs> That's I what think it comes across as. I think he was commenting on, um, yeah, like new progressive kind of like experimental schools that were private, yeah. um, that weren't following like the same, you know, pretty uh, long founded approaches to educating children yeah um in england um and 
I feel like there is a really fascinating component there where like the headmistress, the head is more interested in like the psychological approach that children are taking rather than how they're actually treating one another. So yeah. like the most vicious bullies are like her favorites because they're fascinating to her. So yeah. Like, so you're just raising like sociopaths. <laughs> I don't. So, it's kind of a lot. Weird. Um, and the narrator says that Bibles aren't allowed at the school, which is really funny. Um, no, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, this book came out in 1953. It was, you know, this series was written the forties and fifties, like things are very different. And it was also a time of war and a time of like significant destabilization in England. Um, so I can understand from that perspective of like, ah, the new things I'm scared. But at the same time, I think this book has some pretty progressive approaches to some of the subject matter. And it's actually also kind of controversial, the discussion of whether the Chronicles of Narnia is pro-colonialism or anti-colonialism. And I think the very fact that that is a question shows that like there's some, probably some benefit to both arguments. And also that because they're books for children, a lot of what's presented is just kind of vague and it's difficult to understand which position he was actually taking Hmm. okay but if you think about this book i feel like it is pretty anti-colonialist because we have in a few different cases people being freed from a tyrant okay um and also the commentary immediately from the children when prince rillian is enchanted and he's saying yeah we're gonna go up above and like take over everyone who's living there and then we'll rule and we'll <laughs> strike down all their strongest <laughs> figures he's like so excited that's the, a good point and the children are like no that, no that's a good point it is pretty anti-colonialist yeah and that comes out right away um so i was into that and also just like the joy of the underworld residents um of the gnomes uh, as they're able to, and they're able to return to their natural homeland too. Mm -hmm. I feel like there is a focus on like the native people of different areas versus someone who has come in and tried to colonize them. Uh Um, So yeah, I thought that that was actually surprisingly progressive. Okay. No, I see what you're saying there. I missed that. And there's actually something kind of similar with, controversy over the way Christianity and Christian themes are presented in these books because some Christians actually feel like it's actually the books are actually kind of pagan and like promoting okay. discussing the occult Christianity and stuff like that stole a ton of stuff from the pagans so it's gonna it makes sense if discussing Christianity comes off as a little pagan because yeah <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It's also, it's, it's fascinating. Like, saying, like wh- why do humans have so many things in common with monkeys? That's weird and yeah, bad. Totally. It's like, well, <laughs> it, to just, break it, too, it yeah. just follows. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating, too, because the end of the Chronicles of Narnia is the end of Narnia. Like, the world ceases to know that. exist. I definitely don't want to read um, the, the last one of those, though. That's going to bum me right the heck out. But look at how badass the cover is. Don't you want it? It is really badass. And also that... It's a unicorn with blood on it. That horn. unicorn seems, like, oddly sexual. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at its smooth body and... <laughs> Dead ass, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is kind of... It's just really fleshy looking. (laughs) I'm sorry. 
apologize. So for the magic systems in this book, it really comes down to the magic kind of being the power that Aslan like shares, but also enforces on Mm -hmm. everyone. Um, Then you have these figures like pop up like the witches. Um, It's there's been some confusion as to whether the lady in the green kirtle is also the white witch from. uh, No, I think she's just a quote unquote northern witch. No, I agree. Ladies, man. I know. Always getting up to no good. Um, in their beautiful gowns. They're totally different witches. Um, but then, yeah, so there are these outside forces of magic and power as well, but they're never strong enough that they can, like, run away with it all. Um, and children armed with just, like, little swords and knives and a lot of determination can determination. overtake them. Plus the help of a grown man and a sword. Prince Rillian does assist them. Yeah, the witch. kids often have help from other denizens. Yeah, it's true. Um, and then we have touches of magic about the the way the world is and the way its inhabitants are, like the upright talking animals, for yeah. example, which is a big and somewhat unique component to Narnia um, compared to a lot of fantasy worlds where it's not wholly talking upright animals sure okay they are there and you have the non-upright non-talking smaller versions of them that's true um it's uh yeah it's like compared to something like redwall where we have the um animal inhabitants but that that's it right like they they exist in a vacuum um or something like uh in Oz, there are some talking animals and things like that too. But in Oz, honestly, like there's so many books and there's so many characters and so much that happens that yeah. it kind of just feels like, yeah, put this in there now. <laughs> I mean, I love those books, but but it does get like pretty silly <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah, this is more grounded in a structured, like a you know, a system that makes more sense in terms of, I don't know, like how they might have evolved or how they came to be. Um, And then we have classic fantasy races like giants, dwarves, gnomes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Dragons. Yes. uh, There's a taste of dragons in this book, but a taste. That's Um, the name of Grace's album. (laughs) A taste of dragons. (laughs) Uh, who have fallen under into the underworld at some point and are sleeping in a cavern waiting for their escape. Um, it sounds pretty chill. I could sleep for a long time in a cavern. Yeah, there's something... So the the cave stuff is like, it's tough for me on the one hand because I'm violently claustrophobic <laughs> and the part when Jill is like, no, I'm not doing this, when she has to crawl on her elbows for somewhere Ooh. between five minutes and hours um, to get through a little narrow cave passageway. I was saying out loud, no, no, absolutely not. I have gone into a cave once and it was I don't know why you did the that. only cave I will ever go in. It was a really bad decision. When you told me about that. I was like, why? If I, if I would have been there, if I would have been allowed to come on this family trip to New Zealand, I would have stopped. This not that you weren't allowed to come. <laughs> You were busy. <laughs> I would have stopped Grace from going to a cave. I would have stopped her from getting stabbed in the face with an arrow. <laughs> I, did. I stabbed myself with an arrow. It's true. <laughs> We've discussed this in another episode. The, so the photo so is somewhere will. on our website if yeah. you want to check that out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't do don't do caves. Uh, but but at the same time, reading about these caves, there was something very peaceful about them. Yeah, because they're really big caves. 
Yeah, and the, the, the underground city is is cool. I mean, I know it was built out of slavery, and it's something that the residents should not have to live in. Well, um, but then they get to go back to Bism. Yeah, they get to go back to their, their beautiful can, lava world. Yeah, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and I also love that there's like a an entire passage where Prince Rillian is just seriously considering going yeah, to like, Bism with them. Screw it. Of, let's go to Bism. Uh, uh, returning like, to wow, rule. We are really just having this entire conversation right now, aren't we? And then there's a great moment. While it's moment, like crumbling around them. And the caves are flooding. And then there's a great moment when they're escaping. Yeah. When they're like, uh, oops, the lanterns are going out now. And Prince Rillian's like, oh, if only I hadn't. <laughs> even entertain those thoughts of going into bism like i apologize <laughs> my friends like oh i don't my know God. like clearly he is a dude who um is given over to a certain amount of whimsy um, oh yeah and uh yeah hopefully that does not lead to significant issues in his ruling uh in the future <laughs> um yeah, so it's, you know, it's like pretty classic fantasy. Um, but the thing is, like, something that we need to remember is that when we're saying this is classic fantasy, this is like part of what helped define what classic fantasy was. Yeah. Um, so that is pretty incredible. And I will always be beholden to C.S. Lewis for helping to make the way for all the related works that followed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know what I want to talk about? Diamond juice. <laughs> Pretend food. So Edible ju- rubies. Oh my gosh, so much. Uh, and then some disturbing pretend food too, like yes. the talking stag. Um, great pretend food in this book and throughout the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. It is one of the reasons I love Not these lacking. books. It is Do you think it helps to inventive. form your love around Oh, for sure. Food? Yeah, this was um, one of the first series that I read that really gave a lot of discussion to the food. Oh, I know I'm making a lot of noises. (laughs) (laughs) Madeline's got some iced coffee right here. Uh, Yeah, this was one of the first series I read that really cared about the food being included. Um, And also, I think, led the way for other fantasy authors to be concerned with establishing the food in the settings that they're discussing. Yeah, to love that food. Yeah. So um, very, very excited to revisit for that reason. Um, When you think of the Chronicles of Narnian food, you know, you probably immediately go to the most famous food, which is the Turkish Delight from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Which are good. I've had some of that since uh, growing up, and um, yeah, it's good. It's like (laughs) squishy, compacted marshmallow fluff with little bits of like walnut or whatever in it, pecan. Yeah, it's not what you would think it is, but it's delicious in its own right, and if you live in Seattle, as we do, there is a restaurant at... Pike Place oh, yeah. that well, has really good Turkish delights. Boxes of Turkish delight. um, yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but it's there in the main drag. Um, so if you check out the market, you will find it. Um, the people who work there are very friendly. Get some Turkish delight yeah. today. Treat yourself um, before cruise season starts. Oh, yeah, it's coming. But we get pretend food starting, you know, coming in hot and coming in fast from the very beginning of the book. And then it continues on. Hot off the pretend stove. (laughs) Pretend presses. Um, One great component of 
protagonists being children um, mm-hmm. is that they're generally going to be pretty concerned about where their next meal is coming from. Yeah, and they are impressed by the awesome food instead of yeah. just being like, oh, it's sustenance. No, it's true. And this this is a book that we um, have lovingly coined a hungry book uh, at moments, um, which means a book when the main characters are questing a lot and they just don't they're have hungry, as much as they yeah. should. And they're cold and wet and hungry. Yeah. Um, but uh, that is offset by some of the really glorious feasts that they get in between. Yeah. So the the food itself in the Chronicles of Narnia is not made up food for the most part. For the most part, there it is, is some of it traditional English food. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, that in itself felt like made up food to me as a kid. At least some of it, where it's like, I don't. Oh I, yeah, that's a very good point. Quail like, pie. Like right. I'm not really sure what's happening. Um, the first food description that we get is when they, the kids are in the hall of King Caspian's castle before they really set off on their journey in earnest before they meet Puddleglum. And we get this description of their feast. There were soups that would make your mouth water to mm. think of, and the lovely fishes called pavenders, and venison, and peacock, and pies, and ices, and jellies, and fruits, and nuts, and all manner of wines and fruit drinks. Even Eustace cheered up and admitted that it was something like. What does that mean? <laughs> I said it out loud to myself after reading it because I was something like, like trying to use it in a sentence. Yeah. Uh, like, man, this real this meal is really something like. Something like I don't know. Maybe he's inarticulate and he's trying to maybe apply it's an like adjective. Fake but something he can't. else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That meal yeah. is something like. Yeah. That makes sense. That's probably Only in an Englishy way. <laughs> but I agree that meal is something like. Um, <laughs> Do you, Grace? <laughs> and I will keep saying that. Uh, I also appreciate that when they first meet Puddle Glum. He is intent on catching eels for them to eat for their dinner, and everyone just gorges on eels. Um, Which sounds pretty good. I like eels. I don't know if I've had eel in any preparation other than sushi. sushi. Yeah. It's good. Then, um, it's got that teriyaki sauce on it. Yeah, but I'm thinking how... Or like boiled di- eel or something. How, yeah, how different it would be in mm-hmm. this type of context where it's like eel on the go, like eel over the fire. Suck that eel down. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Madeline. <laughs> I, I don't think the eel marketing group is going to be contacting <laughs> you to write copy for them anytime soon. Um, also, just a great illustration of Puddle Glum I the first time Puddle I meet Glum. him. He's so lanky and sad. He just yeah. really reminds me of the Scarecrow from The Wizard oh, of Oz, yeah. who is another one of my favorite all-time characters. Um, and, you know, of course, you wouldn't say the Scarecrow is, like, sad off the bat, but he's a very melancholy yeah, figure. Yeah, he's a sad character. Um, and Puddle Glum, I, I love the realization as the book goes on that Jill actually comes to terms with. You know, I think he actually is happy all the time, and he is brave, and he is, like, a really good person. He just has to have this approach that makes him feel comfortable. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really funny. Um but they, yeah, so they gorge on eels. Puddle Glum drinks from his. So the way that liquor is described is like really gross, which makes sense because it's for children. Um, Puddle Glum has a square black bottle that he drinks from and he gives some to the children and they say that it's vile. <laughs> and then he's given more of that when they go to the giant's castle. Um, 
and he gets drunkies. Yeah, they get him drunk and then he can't figure out the wrong things. <laughs> I know, he's overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of great feasts. There is the very upsetting dinner that they have with the giants when they're fed talking stag. And that's when they start to realize that, like, yeah, maybe these dudes aren't totally on the up and up. And the mysterious lady who was like, yeah, go to that castle. They'll want you for their feast. Meant something. Maybe, maybe you should read between the lines when someone says something like that to you. Um, I also love the uh, giant's cookbook. So the kids are in the kitchen of the giant's castle um, waiting for the cook to fall asleep so that they can escape. And Jill sees a cookbook open on the table. And And at first she's like, oh, boring. Yeah, a cookery book. And then she reads this passage. Man, this elegant little biped has long been valued as a delicacy. (laughs) (laughs) It forms a traditional part of the autumn feast and is served between the fish and the joint. It's like, yeah, let's get out of here. <laughs> like, uh-oh. I like I really like being described as an elegant little biped though. <laughs> I am an elegant little biped. And then, you know, Puddle Puddle Glum gets a uh, much less appealing passage. Marshwiggle. <laughs> Some authorities reject this animal altogether as unfit for giant's consumption <laughs> because of its stringy consistency and muddy flavor. The flavor can, however, be greatly reduced. <laughs> You have to cook the heck out of it in order to make it palatable. Yeah, poor bottle glum. Um, And underground, we get some more gross stuff like tasteless cave cakes. Yeah, (laughs) cave lumps. Not not totally awesome. But then when they're talking about bism and they talk about the like fresh squeezed diamond juice and uh, rubies like berries, I was just like, oh my gosh, I want to eat that. I know. It's so appealing. And I'm sure to us non-gnomes, it would just destroy all our teeths. But uh, oh, probably it still sounds it still sounds so good. They get a final glorious feast once they emerge from the underworld and they're back in Narnia and they happen to come out during a dance. Um, oh, yes. Uh, the snow dance. Yeah. The, the great snow dance done yeah. on the first moonlit night when there's snow on the ground. Um, they emerge in the middle of that, you know, get pelted with snowballs. That's <laughs> one does. Great fun. When they're with everyone, they get to have a wonderful meal after being so cold and hungry for so long. Jill had a vague impression of dwarves crowning around the fire with frying pans rather bigger than themselves and the hissing and the delicious smell of sausages and more and more and more sausages and not wretched sausages half full of bread and soya bean either, but real meaty, spicy ones, fat and piping hot and burst and just the tiniest bit burnt and great mugs of frothy chocolate and roast potatoes and roast chutneys chestnuts and baked apples with raisins stuck in where the cores had been and then ices just to freshen you up after all the hot things so this is um like a gourmet delightful children's meal that isn't based on war rations totally sausages without chocolate yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. right and specifically saying that there isn't a bunch of filler in the meat Mm -hmm. um yeah totally it's all real deal stuff um, and Which, again, is not something I would have picked up on as a child. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely not. Um, and then I also, the other pretend food of note for me was just all the times that they're promised hot drinks <laughs> throughout yeah. the book. Uh, which I feel because they are out on icy northern plains for quite a bit. It, well, it's also funny though, because I was not into hot drinks as a kid. Because of I, they any would, kind? No, they would always burn me. You didn't like hot chocolate? 
you like I hot chocolate? I needed it to cool. That's why I would fill it up with marshmallows and then eat the marshmallows out. Like first, because I liked marshmallows more than the hot chocolate, but second, because it was too hot. You have a sad little delicate tongue. I do. <laughs> I'm still burning it all the time. Every time I get a coffee from a coffee shop, I'm like, they're like, do you want room? And I'm like, no, I'll take it black, but could you please put a little bit of ice in it? <laughs> I'm a baby, but I drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just, when I hear the phrase hot drink, and I don't even drink coffee, but I think of like wonderful herbal teas and ciders. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I do, I appreciate a a fine coffee now. I like coffee. (laughs) There's just something endlessly appealing about the phrase hot drink, especially in a fantasy book. If it's cold. (laughs) Okay, I'll shut up. Grace is done. <laughs> yeah, I love hot drinks if they're cold. So I guess I'll just say <laughs> cold drinks. <laughs> All right, and I think that's it for our pretend food. So as our final segment, I do want to specifically address the role of women, female characters mm. in this book um, before we discuss our badass lady meter. I do think that there are arguments for both female treated female characters being treated in a positive way in the Chronicles of Narnia, but then it's also the worst. them being still limited. Right. Like they're not yeah. treated the way that male characters quite are. But I also appreciate that C.S. Lewis leaves room for them to still like be feminine and be girls. Like they're not made to be exactly like the boys. Like they get to be women who are still doing things. I think there's pros and cons and it's definitely not all of one or the other. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, But it is still like, so Jill, for example, is a really cool character and she's kind of in charge of keeping things moving forward. She's the one who's gifted the four signs from mm-hmm. Aslan yeah. um, and is the keeper of the signs, um, even if she muffs it up sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she does have a really active role, but at the same time, whenever I just really notice, like when everyone gets swords, she isn't given a sword. Um, or and how she says, like, doesn't she get to, to hack the serpent's head off, even though I thought that she did. Yeah. She actually, it specifically says that she sits down. Here it is. Jill had very wisely sat down and was keeping quiet. She was saying to herself, I do hope I don't faint or blub or do anything idiotic. Mm. And and that's what she was doing while everyone else was hacking at the serpent. But she also didn't have a sword. She just had a little tiny knife because no one gave her a sword. sword. Um, Which is, you know, a little frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a lot of painting of uh, like villainous female characters in the book. Not just the witch, but also the giant queen Mm. um, who's shown as being like slovenly and like excessive um kind of like uh you know marie antoinette style decadence and like laying on her lounge and stuff um and like repulsing them but but then it's like oh but they like the king you know he's just as bad like he also plans to eat them for their Mm -hmm. feast but that's a moment where it's like "Hmm, why are we getting that yeah that different description yeah um so I don't know. I I've, I always liked the books because the main children 
were two boys and two girls and the girls were still rulers too. Um, And the youngest child, Lucy, was the one who was also closest to Aslan. um, And they all had their own power. It wasn't just about making Peter and Edmund kings. Like it was about all of the children girls included. So I did always appreciate that. And I think that one of the reasons I like the silver chair so much is that it does have a female protagonist who also isn't one of the Pevensies because sometimes they just irritate me. Fair. So all that being said, um, fair. shall we rank our badass ladies? Do you like to go first? Yeah. My badass lady is Jill. Um, and my rating for her is... Uh, the success of completing a mission, even though you miss most of the signs and the potential you would have had if they had given you a dang sword. Muffing your way through life. <laughs> Muffing your way through Darnia. Um, I, just to give some other representation, um, even though she's, she's bad, I don't like her. I'm going to pick the lady with the green kirtle, yeah, AKA right, the queen of the underworld. Um, because yes, she is a tyrant and plans to uh, like increase her tyranny and dominion, enslave people, enslave additional people. Um, but you know, working alone, she accomplishes a lot. Remarkably f- efficient, she is. And then she does have ten years that she had Prince Rillian enchanted, and, like was making him do her will and stuff. And but but do he was, her will and stuff. But he was also just sitting. You know, whenever they were in the overworld, when they were in Narnia, he was just sitting on a horse in a suit of armor, not moving. <laughs> so he was more just like yeah, not a, helping her, a dummy, so that it looked like she had protection. But like she's still taking care of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just like impressed by that. I feel like it's rare that you see a villain who truly doesn't have a henchman or a sidekick or someone who is really assisting them. Well, yeah. I mean, why give it away to someone else? They're just going to screw it all up. That's true. They're going to muff it. That's true. Um, So I am going to rate the lady with the green kirtle an underworld domain where you don't have to enslave everybody to get your way. There you go. Why didn't you could have tried it a different way? Yeah, you think could, about that. You and you don't elected. have to be hacked to bits as a serpent, which exactly. isn't the way that any of us want to go. I don't think so. I would say. <laughs> uh, okay, so is that everything for the silver chair? Any lingering thoughts? I think that's everything. If uh, you are in the forest and you see a beautiful lady in a green dress and she beckons to you, run away. Maybe go home. <laughs> that go uh, home. Yeah, that's gonna be my final my final words after rereading this book. Um, also, I forgot to mention this. I think because this has been requested by many listeners, so I'm gonna do a blanket thank you to anyone who requested the Chronicles of mm-hmm. Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, we really appreciate all of you. We love getting requests so much. If you would like to request a book or you have any thoughts about this or any of the many questions we threw out during today's discussion, mm-hmm. um, you can send us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Gmail. Or you can get in touch on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Website. On our Instagram, dragonbabiespodcast. IG. Or on our Twitter at dragonbabiespod. Tweet. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, we really, really love hearing from you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Um, we also will tease our next episode because we're announcing them now at the end of our episodes. Which Grace will remind me what it is. I am pretty sure it's going to be Dragon's Blood by Jane Yolen. Oh, fun. I haven't read that book in a really long time, and it is weird, yes. if I'm recalling correctly. So I'm looking forward yeah, to that. I love Jane Yolen, and her work is strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's beautiful and strange. So, yep. Definitely looking forward to that. Um, And also just looking forward to being back here discussing books with all of you. So thank you so much. We really appreciate you. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.